Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Rochelle Tanner. Rochelle's at Microsoft, and we're going to have, a, I hope and believe, a fascinating conversation about her work at Microsoft and some of her current initiatives. So, Rochelle, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Well, thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure. Could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Sure. I am a lawyer by trade. I um, began my career at practicing law and employment, labor and employment defense work, and then I transitioned to uh, general counsel for about 12 and a half years of 2000 employee international nonprofit. And then I've been at Microsoft focused primarily on compliance and ethics for almost five years now. Could you tell us your current role at Microsoft? Yeah, at Microsoft, I am the director of learning for the compliance and ethics program, which involves uh, anti-corruption learning and our annual standards of business conduct and certainly focusing on other compliance areas like privacy and security things of that nature. When I think of compliance at Microsoft, I often think of integrity and compliance together. And I was wondering if I could ask you your thoughts on why you think integrity is so important for not only a corporation, but for the compliance professional as well. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, compliance is about following rules, following the regulations. And, you know, we have to motivate people to do that. It's really more about just following the rules because they're there. It's about understanding why and having the integrity to do the right thing. From a learning perspective, I'd say historically, and it's becoming less the case, you know, we might just focus on what can you do and what can you not do. But on your day-to-day, decisions typically happen in the gray. Things aren't always black and white. And so if you have integrity, at your base, I mean, that will just help with decision-making. You know, making integrity-based decisions is a guide to compliance in a lot of ways, if that makes sense. It does. If I could change the focus just a little bit to Microsoft's award-winning Standards of Business Conduct course, and I believe that's something you've been involved with. And I wanted to ask you if you could maybe start with explaining uh, how did you come to the decision to implement it, and then how did you design test and implement it with your Microsoft colleagues? Yeah, absolutely. I was hired to reimagine the learning program for this group. And when I arrived, and you know, one of the biggest outputs that my team had been making and continues to make annually is our annual standards of business conduct. So most people who work for a corporation, like at least once a year, need to take their version of a standards of business conduct. So what I saw was, you know, very professional, high-end output of what our standards are. However, you know, we have 100, currently about 150,000 employees that consume that. And so it was a a sense that we needed to to engage and get folks' attention. The company had already decided to move more away from rules-based learning to values-based, what I was just talking about earlier with integrity. And so the thinking was to kind of shock and awe the workforce with a new annual standards of business conduct, but one that, you know, they can relate to, they can remember, they can engage with, and in a lot of ways, reinforce on their own the content within. So what we ended up doing is, you know, I understood, you know, we'd been working with like a producer, a Hollywood producer type to create our standards of business conduct for the last 
you know, several years. And so what I did was introduce storytelling. Instead of having different modules on different subject matters, we created this, again, trying to show how things really happen, some characters and episodes that continue on. And we show these characters in multidimensional, meaning we show them at home, kind of what makes them think. Do they have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset? And they are meant to resemble real Microsoft employees as they navigate through their jobs and navigate through ethical issues. One of the things that makes this style of storytelling, I think, so popular is it's one, suspenseful. So we keep people wanting more, which I always think is amazing when they want more compliance training. That's kind of a new thing. But also, again, the relatable characters and the reuse of characters. So we're currently on season five. (laughs) Um, That's, you know, year five. And we have our core main characters from season one still navigating and working with other characters, of course, replicating what happens. And, you know, we're really trying to show how we would want them to operate on behalf of, of Microsoft. Let me ask you if this would be a fair assessment of what, have I, what I just heard. <laughs> As a compliance officer, you're only limited by your imagination. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I can just back up and say when I, when I started at Microsoft, I was reading the book Mindset, and it gave me a little a courage, I think, to go for it. And I had had a pretty long career already, you know, going on 20 years practicing law in one way or another. So I thought it was time to go for it and tap into the creative side and see how we can engage employees differently. Were you able to use, for the basis of your stories and your storytelling, were were you able to use examples that had come up through the Microsoft compliance function? Did you create new stories? Did you listen to people and kind of get their stories? How did you come up with the stories? A combination. So first off, the stories are all-inclusive, meaning we've got employees, we've got managers, we've got their interactions, small and big, we've got what motivates people, what their fears are. And so I would say I drew on all of my experiences in a lot of ways in crafting the story. In terms of the substance and the topics, we certainly do risk assessments and, and look for where, you know, again, we're speaking to such a large audience what could make a difference? You know, if we just brought awareness of this issue, what is it that most people maybe would make a different decision if they just knew X, Y, or Z? You know, thinking about it that way, certainly worked with subject matter experts within the organization in different fields and roles and disciplines to help me get the content right. I'd like to say when I watch shows involving lawyers, if they're not objecting right or Introducing evidence correctly, it always bothers me that nobody bothered to check with somebody to get that right. So we we make sure we do that. But again, back to the actual storytelling, the issues that arise, the way people can handle them correctly and incorrectly. That's, you know, working close with our investigations team, HR, different folks who can help us get that right and then make a decision about kind of the right tone. Again, I try to not show overt bad guys because I don't think most employees would relate to a bad guy. They just see them, you know, I put bad guys in quotes, but see them as, oh, that's a bad guy. I'm not that. So more nuanced characters where people are, you know, trying to do the right thing. Maybe they make a little shortcut decision that feels innocuous or, you know, harmless, but it's not compliant and it's not, it doesn't necessarily demonstrate integrity. 
and then, you know, show kind of what happens to them and give them opportunities to speak up. I would say one of the big themes is speaking up for sure and speaking up to each other, holding each other accountable, you know, making it unpopular really <laughs> to cheat or try to go around the rules or shortcut. And that's what we emulate with our characters, how we can show them speaking up and we can show managers creating the right environment so employees feel comfortable discussing issues or bringing questions, that sort of thing. I'm going to analogize the rest of the world to me in the following manner. I assume Microsoft employees are tech savvy and are really open to and uh, used to receiving media in a variety of formats and in a variety of delivery platforms. If that assumption is correct, what were some of the most effective or popular ways that you were able to deliver this content? Well, your first assumption about Microsoft employees being tech savvy, that is true. I like to refer to myself as slow tech. Um, so, you know, there are lawyers, there are people that didn't grow up in the tech industry that are still catching up, but yes. But in any way, the first way is, you know, again, through this annual course. So it very much feels like we replicate sort of a Netflix experience in terms of how the episodes show with a little, our episodes, I should say, are about 10 minutes at the most. They're usually about eight minutes. You've got a little uh, explanation of what's in the episode there before they click on it. And then there is an inside the episode scene right after. So I do that myself where I do a little storytelling, making sure the employees picked up on what the most key important parts were. And then I also talk about Microsoft resources and Microsoft expectations. So again, really trying to stay within this Netflix feel by, you know, we're really doing a training course. And I would say a lot of the meat is in that inside the episode segment, which might be two and a half minutes. We have flashbacks from the episode that they've just seen as I'm talking. That's the meat and the episode gives you the context. So you can take these rules, these expectations, and see the setting in which they should be applied. In addition to that, we do campaigns. So because the courses have gotten popular, we'll do a trivia campaign. So it's really just a test, a knowledge test or a reinforcement, but we call it a trivia campaign. We make them challenging in some ways. You really need to have watched the course, but then we also give them, you know, the chance to win, you know, surface headbuds or we've given away different things. Our most recent giveaway will be the chance to be an extra in the next uh, course. And so what we can do is we send that out voluntarily and we can see our numbers that, oh gosh, we've got 17,000 employees who voluntarily took a compliance and ethics you know, quiz just because we called it, well, don't tell them that, just because we called it <laughs> trust trivia, You know, gave it pictures, we use images from the courses. And so there's all these innovative ways to keep people engaged. And when you, you study adult learning and how courses and, you know, just content is effective or sticks with people. We know it's from reinforcement, repetition, that sort of thing. And so with our trust trivia and, you know, other, other similar campaigns that we run, we've really meant to reinforce the content that they've seen in the, the larger course in a fun and engaging way that doesn't feel like an eye roller, oh, more compliance and ethics sort of thing. So you mentioned 150,000 employees literally across the globe, but you also have to do this training for people from the 30-day newbie right out of college all the way up to the board of directors. How do you think through designing a training program that has 
both breadth and scope that Microsoft has to deal with? Good question. It it can seem daunting. But so I would say first, the storylines are the storylines and meaning I would say those are primarily digestible by all at any time. So each episode where it might continue from a prior episode, it's meant to also be able to stand alone. I should back up and say actually a season. We drop four episodes per season. And so a season can stand alone with four episodes from eight to 10 minutes. You know, you're talking about a total of under an hour. But in addition to the inside the episodes that explain it and point out resources, we also then have a... I call it stale content. It's non-video content where it's just like key takeaways and resources. And we continue to work on making those resources more granular to the very specific learner, meaning engineer specific, sales specific, marketing specific. Those are areas that we're working on. So you have the overall storyline that applies to all that really is a message about integrity, making good choices, speaking up themes that carry water through any discipline when you're talking about really doing the right thing or more specifically making ethical decisions. You can have it, you know, at that high level and then have it at a very specific level at the same time. Like to say, there are some content in there that most people wouldn't understand unless you were an engineer. I know it's very hard for me to write. I have to work with subject matter experts. But I kind of think of that as like when we were watching a show, like I'll date myself, ER, I guess, Grey's Anatomy, whatever is the current medical show. And they're talking all this medical jargon. We don't know what they're saying, but we kind of get the gist, you know, they're fixing something. So same way, I think it's important to use specific language so that that audience who, again, if it's an engineer, it resonates with them and they are paying attention and they're engaged. But at the same time, making sure anybody who's observing that content at the storyline does pick up on the messages about not circumventing rules or, you know, whatever it is the main underlying trust message is. Change the focus just a little bit, because in doing a little research on you from this podcast, it appears that uh, you're actively involved in multiple uh, charitable entities and you've had work kind of outside your professional career, perhaps using your profession. But I wonder if you could talk about how the passions you have around your charitable work has really helped you in your professional career? Yeah, I would say when I think about, you know, my job prior to Microsoft, I was working for a nonprofit, very, very involved in different nonprofits and and the mindset of being charitable. I'm a Seattle native. There was a time where I thought any nonprofit or charitable work I do, I want to focus on giving back to the community. And so, you know, making choices like that and having experiences of the same and meeting different people around the globe and traveling around the globe, it's just, I have observed human nature and close up. It's given me a sense to, again, believe in the best of people, understanding that by and large, we're a big body of folks that really want to do, do the right thing and being able to take that mindset and implement it at Microsoft in, you know, in a learning capacity has been very valuable. I do, certainly from my legal experience in a firm and then overseeing a nonprofit, those are skills that I definitely take to any charitable organization that I'm on the board of and when needed. I mean, I will say that I do have enough work to do in my actual job that I'm (laughs) not 
always looking to, you know, do legal work and add a lot of input in the charitable organizations unless or until there's a need. But it, it is gratifying to make an impact in multiple different ways, in addition to, you know, Microsoft. Last summer, in the wake of the social justice movements that started up, we heard a lot of conversation about d- diversity and inclusion. And uh, we're both lawyers, and certainly for me, words matter. And in that phrase, the word that mattered the most to me was inclusion. And it mattered to me because I grew up professionally in the 80s and 90s where we had diversity, but diversity was you can come in the door. That's it. Inclusion to me is an entirely different conversation. It's not that you can come in the door. It's not that we're going to accept you. It's we're going to embrace you and we're going to listen to you and we're going to have you a part of this enterprise going forward. So I was wondering, and that's really, uh, I think about social justice. I think about institutional justice. I think about fairness. And I've really tried to advocate that compliance needs to be, if not leading diversity and inclusion, at least be a part of the conversation, because I see that as the role of a compliance officer in any organization. And I just wondered uh, what your thoughts might be uh, really on inclusion or the role of compliance in diversity and inclusion and how you could see maybe compliance driving that conversation forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first off, coming to Microsoft is a was amazing to me in terms of its efforts around diversity and inclusion. And you're right, diversity is a natural thing. If you have diverse people, inclusion is a totally different thing. In the compliance area, we certainly have diversity and inclusion training. I'm not responsible for that, but I certainly weave that in and make it a big part of what I do from the characters that we choose. You know, for me growing up in, well, I grew up in the late 70s and 80s and at a time where there weren't that many diverse faces in the media or on TV, when they were diverse, specifically African-American like myself, they were typically negative characters. And I grew up also in a Bellevue, a, a suburb of Seattle. At the time, it was not diverse. It was before Microsoft really recruited a bunch of uh, different diverse folks into the Redmond Bellevue area. And so I knew just from my own experiences growing up that people took their cues about me from whatever they saw on TV, what they expected from me based on, you know, whatever characters they saw. So for all those reasons, you know, I feel like it is a responsibility to uh, be inclusive in just how we even represent different folks. And it's frankly a a requirement at Microsoft, anything, any training, any course that I do, I run through our DNI team to make sure it is inclusive. And I continue to create diverse characters in ethnicity, in gender, and basically every sexual orientation, every way you can describe diversity and inclusion. And primarily, it's very important since we are a global company with folks all around the world, and the subject matter will resonate with them better one would think, if they can also, again, see themselves. Priscilla, unfortunately, we are near the uh, end of our time for this episode, but I wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me. It's been a fascinating exploration of reimagining training. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been great. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.